Welcome to the Insight Myanmar podcast. Before we get into today's show, I wanted to let you know that we have a lot more written and video content on our website. If you haven't visited it yet, we invite you to take a look at www.insightmyanmar.org. In addition to complete information about all of our past episodes, there's also a variety of blogs, books, and videos to check out. And you can also sign up for our regular newsletter. But for now, enjoy what follows. And remember, sharing is caring. this episode of Insight Myanmar podcast. I'm very pleased to be joined by our guest today, Jagdish Lau, or just Jag. Jag, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. Well, thank you. It, it is my pleasure to be on this and kind of share my perspective uh, on, on why it's important to support Myanmar in many ways that you're doing. Yeah, and I look forward to getting into this discussion, and I just want to give some background for our listeners where this idea came from. Last year, I was working, or maybe it was earlier this year, I was working on a written piece describing why, for, for those who weren't already tapped into Myanmar as foreign allies or uh, Myanmar nationals, uh, to some it was just a distant conflict, half a world away, which didn't really have relevance over one's life. We're always looking at our platform of how can we find angles and stories to break through and show the relevance and the importance. And in describing this with you, Jag had messaged me as in this other conversation we were having that you know, hey, if you want to have a discussion about why people should care about Myanmar, I have a lot of things I can contribute to that. So here we are uh, welcoming you on and hearing your voice on this topic. So I'm really excited to get into this. Okay. Well, I mean, it, let me kind of go the longer way. Let me just kind of talk about who I am, uh, what I'm doing, and why I have been involved sure. with the organization, your organization, as well as other organizations that make a difference in the world. Mm. So, giving you my background, uh, I was born and educated my undergraduate degree in India, and I came to the United States back in 1965 uh, to go to graduate school, and then eventually in 1976, on the 4th of July, 200th anniversary of the United States, I became a naturalized citizen of the uh, United States. So, I am an Indian and American 
and I carry both in my blood. So I think that uh, someone identified it, that I have one of those with a Western mind and Eastern soul. So whenever I think about Myanmar, I think about other Asian countries, I have a personal feel for it. Then over my 50 years of uh, working career, I had the opportunity to head organizations uh, in Fortune 50 companies in the technology field. And my responsibility were global responsibility, which gave me an, an awful lot of perspective of different parts of the world, what makes each country and each region successful or not so successful, and, and really think in terms of the global perspective a lot more than, than some people who have not had the opportunity to personally see, feel what it is like to be in a country that is not as developed as the Western world. So I have really thought, thought about it that the, in order for the world to be, uh, you know, somewhere it's acceptable for all of us, you have to have a global perspective because, you know, it's like a rising water raises all boats. And you just can't think in terms of just the local economy or the local uh, community and say, well, that will take care of everything else. Or maybe I'll give some jobs to other countries. But in order to do that, uh, you really have to be thinking, you have to be thinking globally. Uh, and that's sort of the article that I sent you before on really thinking about that there's a big word in the corporate world right now called impact sourcing. And what it is, where the corporations say, hey, I'm going to source my material or services where it can make an impact on the local community. I think that's a great, great idea. However, in order to really create that environment, I wrote the article that says you have to cultivate that particular region, that particular country, so that when you do want to do work there, there are qualified people who can benefit from it. There's an infrastructure in place that can take advantage of the incoming wealth and incoming value from the corporations uh, that, that's doing it. I think the second part of that is that unless we think globally, the world is at a point where there is an awful lot of instability and it will create dangerous world stability uh, issues. And we're seeing it in several parts of the world today where the, organ where the countries are against each other. And if you're not paying attention, overall, I mean, that's how the wars have started in the past. And I read history a lot. And when I go back and think about the history and the major wars and et cetera, they all have been fought because of the economics and because of the social uh, injustice. And, and that's what kind of got me involved. And so when you reach to me and, and think about Myanmar or Burma, as I've always called it, uh, it, it, it kind of brought to forefront for me that we also have to think in terms of the how it is that the situation in Myanmar or Burma can have an impact not only on its own country, but also in the region and, and, and globally. I'm not going to talk anything politics in here, uh, simply because I'm not qualified for that. But I'm going to talk more in terms of the economic and social responsibility that we all have to make sure that the world is a better place for everyone uh, that, that's involved. And that includes the, you, you know, 
democracy, that includes a human rights, that includes that uh, think in terms of how can we improve the lives of the people. It just so happens that uh, I am involved with another nonprofit, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. So, so how's that for a little bit of background to get you started? That's wonderful. I'm really glad that you went into both your background as well as your interest and motivation in what you're doing professionally and as well as that bleeds into your uh, personal aspirations and vision uh, in, in in the world and what you've done uh, up to this point, uh, I think will give us some context for understanding how you currently see Myanmar. Yeah, and, and, and you know, and again, uh, I think it, it, when you take a look at more broadly, that if you and I pay attention to regions that are suppressed, and I'm thinking in terms of uh, North Korea, uh, where the country is suppressing the democracy, is not paying attention to the social issue. And what we've read about is really it creates a population and it creates an issue for everybody that's located there. It creates a cycle of protests. And we're seeing that in other countries where there is the suppression creates the organizations uh, to create protests. Well, that creates another cycle. Then there are more protests, which creates responses from the authoritative government who then want to suppress that protest. And not all the times that's done socially or civilly, it's done with, with really harshness. And and that's what we're seeing in lots of part of the world. And I think that Myanmar is an example of it, that the as soon as the protest happens, and the protests have a reason, because the people are are suppressed. They, are, they don't have the ability to grow. They don't have the ability of freedom. And when you don't have that, uh, there's nothing you can do when you don't have enough food to eat, when you don't have place to live, you don't have education that your children can have, you are seeing that you're not going to have a future. And, and that kind of leads to the protest, which unfortunately creates this horrible cycle that we're seeing in countries, including Myanmar. And, and to me, that is an issue that we really have to think in terms of what do we have to do in order to create the stability in the country so that the the organization, uh, the economy and community can benefit uh, from it. Uh, we have seen that in the countries uh, where the suppression have occurred, economically and socially, they're falling behind dramatically. And we're seeing it in parts of South Africa, we're seeing it in, in Africa, we're seeing it in South America, that the some of those countries have really seen it, and we're seeing the same thing in Myanmar and uh, and Burma. And then I think about it that hey, another example is the opposite side of it, and and one of the countries that was fairly well suppressed under the USSR laws and rule, but have come back dramatically in terms of its ability to grow, and that's like Romania. Romania has a, a significant increased in, in its economy through its investment in information technology, allowing students and people to grow and creating a governmental environment that creates uh, a stability, which allows the corporations and world organizations to say, hey, 
I would rather give work to Romania than to say North Korea or the countries that are unstable. And that's where it comes back down to Myanmar and, and Burma, that the, the issue there is that unless there is an ability to create the stability in the country, have a political environment that encourages growth and not suppression, we're going to see Myanmar falling behind its competition because, again, the world is a competition and, and, and really fall behind. I mean, one of the things that I was looking at and was kind of interesting that since you approached me, I've become a lot more uh, interested in understanding Myanmar and its uh, in, in, uh, conditions and where they stand. So United Nations forecasts, uh, and, and this is one of the interesting things that, that I've seen, that aging of the population is creating imbalance of workforce throughout the world. I mean, we're seeing that the Western countries, uh, even Japan, China, are seeing working age population declining while the younger, uh, fewer and younger people come into the workforce. So one of the United Nations forecasts I was reading, which really got me interested in it, is that they forecasted that the in today, Myanmar is the seventh largest for working age population in the world, which means that they have enough people that can do work. However, Myanmar will be second by year 2050. So by 2050, there'll be more working age people in Myanmar than all of the rest of the world except one country. This is a problem, but it's also an opportunity. The problem in the sense that unless that working age population is fully prepared to compete on a global basis, and that's where it comes back to my impact cultivation, unless that community, that working age, is, is fully developed to provide the services and to provide uh, manufacturing, provide the uh, what the world needs, they're going to fall behind economically, dramatically. And in order to do that, first thing you're going to need is a stable environment where the working age population have the stability and economic wherewithal and political support to really get themselves growing and becomes a, a, a somewhat acceptable in the world for their skill. As I mentioned that I'm involved in one of the nonprofit, it's called Wells Mountain Initiative, wellsmountaininitiative.org. We provide scholarships to students in Asia and Africa based on their qualifications and based on what they can contribute to the local economy. So one of the charter for us is that the, we provide the scholarship to get their graduate undergraduate degree. Then we provide them a grant to set up a community-based service in which they have now gotten their degree in. Uh, absolutely pleased to tell you that the, and, and I'm on their board, I'm also one of the evaluators of the applications. And when I do that, it's across the world and we have about 70 scholarships and we get 1500 applications. So it's never a question of trying to pinpoint a certain country or et cetera. So it's all completely based on the merit and completely based on what they have contributed already to the community and what they're committed to do in the future. I'm pleased to tell you that in our new announcement that just happened last week, of the 70 scholars, we do have another scholar from Myanmar 
who is getting her undergraduate degree in social science and humanities. I'm sincerely hoping and looking at her application, her commitment is to develop the community and provide humanity and social science services to the families that need it in her community. Then I said, gee, let me take a look at in the past. So this is about 10 year old organization. We have three other uh, students who have been scholars of WMI and are currently engaged in providing services to organizations and community where, where they live. So it, it, to me, that's what makes the difference that we, all of us have to think in terms of, and by the way, all those scholarship funds are raised in the US. So we raise the funds here, provide them to the community and to the countries with a key restriction that they have to study locally and they have to then remain locally to provide and offer their services. So I'm practicing what I'm what preaching here, basically saying that we all have to think in terms of that global impact only happens one student, one person at a time, but that has to mean that we have to pay attention to it and we have to think in terms of what can we do to make a difference in that one person. It's wonderful to hear about all that you've been doing to know some more background of your uh, your organization and how you've been engaging in issues uh, and trying to, as, as Gandhi famously said, to make the change, to be the change that you want to see in the world. And you've also mentioned that since we've been connected, and I should mention that's through our mutual friend, Kenton Clymore, who was is a historian and was also a guest on this podcast before, that uh, you've been paying more attention to Burma and to following the ongoing conflict there and seeing what's been going on and understanding its relevance and also its the nature of the societal breakdown and the terror that the military has been engaging in. So I'm just curious, and in having looked more at the situation in Myanmar and uh, and bringing in your global perspective of the change that you're trying to create, where are you, well, first, what have you learned about what's going on there? What has surprised you? And where does this crisis fit into your paradigm, your global paradigm of both how we're all connected as well as how we can engage. Because I think that's something that a lot of people are really struggling with, aside from just giving money to a good uh, organization or nonprofit. Uh, people do wonder that are away from this conflict. How? What do I do? How, how do I engage? What is the responsible or ethical thing that I can do? What can I do that can make a difference? Or what should I support? Well, yeah. I mean, first of all, uh, unlike some, I guess... I am very conversant of what's going on in the world. I pay attention to the news. My wife happened to be an ex-CBS uh, um, uh, news writer, producer. So both of us are very deeply involved in paying attention to all the news items throughout the globe. So I did know, and I still know, what's going on in Myanmar. I've seen the migration that have happened and that have affected other countries like Bangladesh and, and even parts of India. Uh, during the suppression. So, yes, we have, I've learned and I've paid attention to it. However, unfortunately, until you until you brought this to forefront for me, uh, there are lots of places in the world that is in conflict, lots of places in the world that really require all of us paying attention so that the 
the world doesn't blow apart at, at some point in time. And and whatever the instability, instability that's happening in one country doesn't spread to the next country and beyond. And and that's the concern that the what we're seeing is that the last thing you want to have happen is a suppressive suppressive government encourages the next suppressive government to come and take it over and make it even more so. I mean, we saw that happen after the World War II with USSR, that the Russia then took the advantage of and really took over the several countries simply because it was a suppressive set of uh, regions and they were the bigger bear in their case, or a bigger dog who can move over. So the concern then would be that we'll be in a situation where the instead of getting rid of the suppressive government, instead of getting rid of the the uh, oppressive environment, we're going to encourage it and have more of them come closer to you and, and make it even worse. Which goes back to my original point that what that's going to do is create the instability. Instability in the world that we can't live with because over a period of time, that's going to lead to the next war. That may lead to something that's going to create economic hardship all the way through. Some of the other things I was looking at uh, is the IMF data. IMF data is saying the Myanmar's GDP is lower than half the Asian countries. So at some point in time, that means that it's not producing the income, it's not producing the sources of income, not only for the government, but also for the people, which is going to, again, is back to my whole cycle thing, that that's going to create even a bigger cycle of suppression, bigger cycle of protest, bigger cycle of uh, killing, migration, forced migration, and, and jailing. And that's not the way to really change the environment. And, and, and that's why, to me, it's important that we have to think in terms of What's that going to happen going forward? So, yes, I am paying more attention to Myanmar uh, from that perspective. That is it going, to, is this going to be another North Korea? Is it going to be another country where the suppression will take over? Whether it's in Nigeria now or, or Venezuela, so there are other countries that are facing that situation. And we're seeing that the those countries have inflation that's unbearable. People are hungry. And that's not the way to grow the GDP. That's not the way to be an, or a country that is stable enough to invite other companies and other countries to begin investment. One of the things I was trying to look for is the foreign investments in Myanmar as compared to the other countries. It's significantly low and it is basically stopped. And mainly because the investment firms and investment companies look at it as an unstable, unstable environment where they're not sure what the next step is gonna be. And, and just like what's happened in North Korea and nowadays even in Russia, where the foreign investments are stopping simply because they're afraid that the government will step in and take over whatever the investment they have made to their benefit, which may not be benefiting the people and the community and the economy. 
Mm, thank you for that. Thank you for putting Myanmar in the context of how you've engaged in other places and through following the news and the support you've provided through the nonprofit foundation that you've set up. Uh, looking at Myanmar specifically, you know, it's a really tricky, messy, complicated situation that's going back through decades and generations of conflict and of ethnic minority strife and now a very brutal military. It's backed by China and Russia and is engaging in atrocities every day that we're reading about against their civilian population. So in regards to how complicated this current situation is as just people that are living their lives like us, like listeners in possibly somewhat stable countries uh, elsewhere, stable societies relatively. Why is Myanmar specifically, why is this something that should attract concern and attention from other parties in the world that might not necessarily be inclined to be following it and be up to date on it? I think that, that that's a very good point. And I, if I can keep my own example off it, that really until you had approached me, I knew about Myanmar, just had not studied the impact of what's happening there on the people, on the community, and on eventually on the economy. Because don't forget, I'm a business person. And I think in terms of the business, and I think in terms of the economics, a lot more than... I should, uh, personal uh, liberty. And, and, but I do, I do think in that term. However, I think in terms of that any suppressive region is going to create a longer-term issue for that region. And as I said, it'll spread, as, as you said, that the China and Russia and others are going to see the weakness. And eventually, like the USSR, did, uh, they all said, hey, we'll take it over. In which case, see, that suppression, in which case that that the control is going to be worse than it is today. Secondly, I think that the we think in terms of the, I mean, go back, going back to the history of Burma and its economic conditions way back, that's all gone away now. And so what has happened is all of those wasted resources. So what can people do? Just just like I have, uh, learn more about it, simply because not that it's another conflict zone, but in terms of what, are, what is its, its impact on my fellow human beings? Uh, what's the impact of that? Even thinking in terms of the business terms, longer term, how is that going to impact the world economy? Because when the working age people are needed to work in the services or in the manufacturing industry, and when I'm second by year 2050 and I'm not prepared to step up, it's going to impact everyone. And I think that what we have to do is a lot more people have to broaden their thinking beyond what's their problem and I don't have to worry about it because it's not here. Well, it will be here at some point in time. It may not be in my generation. It may be in my kids' generation or my grandkids' generation. So by not paying attention, all we're doing is really pushing that problem forward without any offering solutions. I think any suppressive government, any suppressive area is not going to help 
that particular country, that particular region to survive in a competitive business, in, in a competitive economic world. And that's going to create burden on everyone. I think we've seen that happen out of Africa with all of those people that are trying to migrate or in South America trying to migrate to improve their lives. Well, we're going to see that whole lot more. And we did see that happen in Myanmar uh, with the suppression that occurred. Uh, so it's going to become a problem for the other countries and other economy, which means that unless we go and think at the root of the issue, which is the economy, which is the suppression of the rights, which is the uh, prevention of a liberty and a democracy, that's just going to create a, a, a continuing problem, not only for that country, in case of this, Myanmar, but also in adjoining countries and then eventually the world. As a businessman, and not just a businessman, but an, an, a businessman who is concerned with ethics and uh, equity and other issues uh, that we find in a global context, uh, I want to ask about the question of sanctions. And sanctions has been something that has, uh, has really divided the international community in terms of whether and how much and to what extent and what kinds of sanctions at, at what time should be placed on the regime in Myanmar. And uh, it was that there were from 1988 through the atrocities up to the transition period in 2010s, there were generally some form of sanctions, sometimes more severe, depending on the administration and the recent atrocity that the regime committed, sometimes uh, lessening a, a bit for this or that reason. But during the transition period, sanctions were removed entirely in that time. And the argument that was being engaged in that moment was, is it better to have sanctions, which would uh, still allow some carrot and stick with the uh, with the well, it wasn't the regime at that point. It was a transitioning democratic government, which wasn't purely democratic. Elements of the regime were also there, and there were certainly bad things happening uh, at that time in terms of the natural resources and ethnic minorities. So the question was: Should we keep these sanctions on as a way to still kind of moderate and monitor what's happening, or should we remove them with? the aspiration that the removal of sanctions will propel society forward in certain kinds of civil society and, um, and economic ways, creating opportunities that will create a greater force in terms of the openness of society and pushing it forward than we are able to control by sanctions. That, that, was, that was the other argument, whereas the argument that was wanting to keep the sanctions on was fearing that there was still great inequity and inequality and uh, even um, persecution that was still happening, and those, those sanctions needed to be in place for that. Well, first of all, I'm not a politician. And this is probably a better question for Captain Palmer to answer than me. So my answer is going to be not based on any political implications. It's just strictly based on, as I said, my business background and my personal opinion uh, of that. Uh, it's kind of interesting that I am a believer that you have to have both carrot and stick. Sanctions are sticks. I've not seen, not heard about, not yet, of what carrots are there, there that can help alleviate the burden 
alleviate the pain that the sanctions bring. It's sort of, you know, in one of my lectures um, where we talk about the business aspects of the contracts and et cetera, one of the things I've always said that I'm absolutely against penalty clauses in contracts. People say, why not? What if they don't perform? I said, you know, my comment always been that a penalty creates an opportunity for the other party to make an economic decision. And the great example I always give is that when you give penalty to a kid and say, hey, you're not going to get your allowance if you don't do this, kid's going to say, okay, I want to do this. And what the heck, for one week, I won't get an allowance. So they're going to make an economic decision based on the sanction. We're seeing that happening in Russia right now, that Russia now is make, taking over some of the investments that foreign countries have made, companies have made, because they're sanctions. So sanctions do work up to a point, but then you need the carrots on the other side that can allow them to lessen that economic comparison of sanctions versus what I'm doing, continue doing. So if we're going to have sanctions, what's what's the carrot? What are we doing in order to encourage the the uh ruling parties encourage the government to do something that allows them to grow the economy, to grow the uh, independence, grow the level of democracy. We can't have all of democracy anyway, but but encourage that rather than having just the sanctions that is going to be looked at penalty and it's going to create a negative environment towards you in the future. And next time when you want to go do something, or next time you want to encourage something, they're going to say, well, yeah, you're the ones who gave me all these sanctions. So I'm personally of the opinion that sanctions do work only up to a point, but it only work effectively if there are carrots associated with it. Mm -hmm. Right. Thanks for that. Uh, looking now at how Myanmar and the crisis there is affecting neighboring countries, I want to go right next door. And this is something close to home for you with India. In what ways are you seeing what's going on in Myanmar relevant, particularly for India? And what are your thoughts on how India should be engaging at this time? Unfortunately, I've left India a long time ago. Uh, so I, I really can't speak for India now as effectively, despite my Indian blood runs just as red as my American blood does. <laughs> uh, I, I think that the issue is that the they have accepted an economic burden of the refugees, which is like any other countries that's happening in Europe with the African refugees. Over a period of time, that's going to create issues. Over a period of time, that's going to create economic challenges in the local economy and the local areas, which is going to create a negative feeling towards the country and towards the people that have migrated, not against the forces that made that happen. And to me, that's the longer term effect. The longer term effect is going to be that Bangladesh and India are going to say, gee, we can't handle all these refugees. We're going to send them back or we're not going to treat them as they should be treated. And heck with it and we're not going to deal with it and that's just not going to help change the situation that created the refugee environment in the first place mm, right and um 
referencing how you've been in America for some time. And so you're um, the, uh, although you come from India, you're, uh, you're, you're not, uh, obviously not there now and not, um, um, and, and so asking about India's policy might not be something that you're, you're directly engaged with there. But I'm curious if in talking to like family members or friends that are back there, if the Myanmar conflict has been on their radar at all. Yeah, I have kind of asked a couple of people that question, and it's the same issue as you see here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. It's too far away. Mm. It's not on the radar simply because there are other issues, other problems, or there are other countries with a serious, more serious issue at the moment. You know, the Russia's invasion of uh, Ukraine. Uh, So there are other issues that rise to the top. And as a result, oh, well, it's a small country. And yeah, it's the same issue as you see in some of the other African countries. So yeah, maybe at some point in time, we have to do something about it. Right now, I'm worried about my next paycheck. I'm worried mm-hmm. more about inflation. I'm worried about the recession coming, uh, you know, thinking locally. Or if you're in India, thinking in terms of the my religious independence, you know, being governed by a Hindu majority. Uh, so, it, those are the don't forget at the end of the day the the old whiffum principle comes into play i always use that word very effectively what's in it for me mm-hmm. whiffum and all of us think in terms of whiffum and if it's not impacting me now or in the near future eh, i'm gonna stick it in the back of my mind and i think that's that's what we're seeing lots of places yeah, I think so as well. I'm glad you brought that up. And this leads to really one of the main objectives of our platform, of our nonprofit, of the work that we do, of the conversations that we have, is to look for that, what's in it for me, and to be able to, in, in being able to inform and engage people through the kinds of conversations we have on this platform, to be able to provide certain angles and perspectives that will bring that will break through and bring someone in to care or engage about the conflict in a certain way that uh, that they might not have before and to find that way to make this relevant and connect and so uh, I, I guess my question is with with what's going on with Myanmar, with the nature of the conflict today, how do you think we can do that? How do you think that this is something that feels very far away, even for people in India, as you mentioned, that are just next door, that have a a border and and have things going on there with refugees flowing in, it's still not prescient and relevant directly to their life. And so to say nothing about people that are literally a world away. So what do you think can be done to make this issue relevant and of concern and to answer this question, what's in it for me, for many people that might not be totally obvious? I think what you're doing is exactly what is necessary, which is to have an inside Myanmar, which we need to have podcasts, we need to have publications, uh, we need to have the local groups get familiar with the issue. Because, the, again, as I said, the challenge is that that issue is in the back of the mind for everybody. So I think more and more you do to bring it to the forefront, it's going to help. And I'm the great example of it for you that the, yes, Myanmar, I knew something about it. Yes, I was concerned about it at one point in time. Yes, I would have uh, done something about it if I could until you approached me. 
in which case I then was really interested in learning more about it and contributing in the way I can, which is both participating in this podcast mm. uh, and contributing the funds you need in, in working with my WMI role uh, to see what I can do to really promote uh, that uh, idea that we all have to think about the countries that need help. And, and I think you're just doing that and just have to do more of it. I'm thankful for you to have approached me. I'm thankful to Kenton to send me some new material to read and, and really putting Myanmar ahead on my thinking platform, uh, simply because uh, there are enough things out there that I'm thinking about. But it is, it is higher, if you will, on my platform to be thinking about. And uh, I really appreciate that uh, opportunity. want to present a special opportunity for donors who are committed to our show. While we want to stress that we greatly appreciate donations of any size, larger donations, of course, are particularly helpful. For that reason, we're encouraging donors with means to consider sponsoring a full episode for a one-time donation of $350 or more. Donations in this category can include a dedication, if you'd like, to a person or organization, and as well as a quotation or expression. Or your generous donation could be anonymous as well. The choice is yours. In either case, it would give you the satisfaction of knowing that you enabled at least one more episode to be produced for the benefit of the people of Myanmar who have suffered so much at the hands of the military. If you would like to join in our mission to support those in Myanmar who are being impacted by the military coup, we welcome your contribution in any form, currency, or transfer method. Your donation will go on to support a wide range of humanitarian and media missions, aiding those local communities who need it most. Donations are directed to such causes as the Civil Disobedience Movement, CDM, Families of Deceased Victims, Internally Displaced Person IDP Camps, Food for Impoverished Communities, Military Defection Campaigns, Undercover Journalists, Refugee Camps, Monasteries and Nunneries, Education Initiatives, the Purchasing of Protective Equipment and Medical Supplies, COVID Relief, and more. We also make sure that our donation fund supports a diverse range of religious and ethnic groups across the country. We invite you to visit our website to learn more about past projects as well as upcoming needs. You can give a general donation or earmark your contribution to a specific activity or project you would like to support, perhaps even something you heard about in this very episode. All of this humanitarian work is carried out by our nonprofit mission, Better Burma. Any donation you give on our Insight Myanmar website is directed towards this fund. Alternatively, you can also visit the Better Burma website, betterburma.org, and donate directly there. In either case, your donation goes to the same cause and both websites accept credit card. You can also give via PayPal by going to paypal.me slash betterburma. Additionally, we can take donations through Patreon, Venmo, GoFundMe, and Cash App. Simply search Better Burma on each platform and you'll find our account. You can also visit either website for specific links to these respective accounts or email us at info at betterburma.org. That's betterburma, one word, spelled B-E-T-T-E-R-B-U-R-M-A.org. If you would like to give it another way, please contact us. We also invite you to check out our range of handicrafts that are sourced from vulnerable artisan communities across Myanmar, available at alokacrafts.com. 
Any purchase will not only support these artisan communities, but also our nonprofit's wider mission. That's Aloka Crafts, spelled A-L-O-K-A-C-R-A-F-T-S, one word, alokacrafts.com. Thank you so much for your kind consideration and support. Oh, ba, yaranan da, da, yaranan, da, yaranan, da, yaranan, ba, da, ba, yaranan.